Good morning. So this morning is a very interesting title. It's called Tale of Two Trees. The Tale of Two Trees. Is that okay? You able to understand that? Come, let's pray and ask God to speak to you this morning. Come, talk to the Lord. Everyone lift up your voices and talk to the Lord. Father, we so need the moving of your spirit in our hearts this morning. Lord, there is nothing that can be communicated without your Holy Spirit bringing revelation. And I pray this morning that the wonderful work of your Holy Spirit will establish truth in each one of our hearts, Lord. That we will see things and understand things from your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the two is a very significant number in the Bible. Two speaks of partnership. The human race started with God creating two individuals and he called them male and female. He created birds and animals in pairs of two. And that's how creation came into existence and two of the same kind. When Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent them out in twos. Both in the Old as well as in the New Testament, it says everything must be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Again, we see in in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So two speaks of partnership. Now, two also speaks of separation. Okay, so it speaks of partnership. It also speaks marriage too. It's partnership. But it also represents or speaks of separation. And then when the Bible talks about these two, they they cannot coexist together because they're very different in nature and in purpose. For example, life and death, two separate things, can never coexist together. Good and evil can never meet together. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness, heaven, hell. Two kinds of masters Jesus spoke about. You cannot serve both masters. You'll serve one and you'll do injustice to the other. The Bible speaks of two covenants. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Speaks of two kinds of people. The righteous as well as the wicked people. In the Garden of Eden, the tree of life and the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life spoke about life and eternity. Mankind living eternally with God, without death, without sickness, without disease. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil spoke about death, where man was separated, living life independently from God. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, this day I call heaven and earth, Two things, heaven and earth, as a witness against you that I have set before you life, one hand, death on the other hand. Blessings and curses, two things. Now choose life so that you and your children will live. So before all of us, there is a choice of two. Sorry, there are two options but one choice. Can you say that after me? I have two options but one choice. 
Can you say that again? I got two options but one choice. And you see this pattern right through the Bible. And in life, every day, we have these two options. We may have different forms of those options, but basically there are, there are two options with one choice left for you and me to make. Today I have titled this message as the tale of two trees because trees in the Bible often represent something and it represents people. For example, we see in Psalms 1, verse 1 to 3, the Bible says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, in his word, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a, he shall be like a tree. So for this morning, I want you to look at yourself as a tree. Okay, can you do that? Look at yourself as a tree. Now don't think of tin tree, fat tree, just tree. Okay. And it says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its seasons, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So all of us represent a tree. Which tree we will look later at. But we represent a tree. Now here the Bible is saying, when we follow or meditate on his word day and night, or when we keep God as our priority, do not walk, do not sit, or even stand in the way of sinners, you become a tree planted by the riverside, roots going deep, we will bear fruit, and whatever we do shall prosper. That's the tree that's coming from the wisdom of God. Now, the tale of two trees also represents the two kinds of life, two kinds of life that we live. Either the carnal life, which is coming from the soul, or the spiritual life, which is coming from God, the, the Holy Spirit. Two kinds of life. A spiritual person is one who's living their life according to the Holy Spirit. A carnal person is one who lives life according to the wisdom and the pattern of this world coming from reasoning. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, He who has year, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this year is not talking about our physical years. It's talking about the ability that our spirit has to hear God. It says, he who has years. And you will find that very often repeated, both in the Gospels and other places in the New Testament. He who has ears, he who can spiritually hear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. There's the tree, the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So this verse is talking about those Christians who live in overcoming life, overcoming temptation, overcoming trials, overcoming challenges. When you begin to live from the live in overcoming life, God says, I will let you eat a partake of the tree of life. Are you okay so far? The tale of two trees. I'm pausing here for a moment for a purpose. And I'm going to take you through passages of scripture this morning where God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream of a tree. And I want you to see 
What was God speaking to Nebuchadnezzar? So are you ready? Follow with me as the verses come on the screen, or you can even turn to your Bible from Daniel chapter 4, verse 10 onwards. Daniel chapter 10, sorry, chapter 4, verse 10 onwards. If you have your Bibles, there will be significant verses that you can highlight. Now, this is what happened in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. These are the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. That one tree. What a vision. Picturing that as I read. I saw in the visions of my head on my bed that there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruits, its fruit, let the beast get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Can you picture that tree? Tall, beautiful, flourishing, feeding all. Birds nesting, animals taking shade. What a wonderful tree. And suddenly a watcher coming down from heaven. Guess who that is? Okay, never mind. You wait for me to tell you. The watcher talking about a divine person coming down from heaven. Chop that tree, break those branches, scatter the fruit. And then it goes on in verse 15. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Dew of heaven always represents God's blessings, God's presence. That's why manna and then dew came upon it. Dew always is symbolic to the presence and the blessing of God. And let him gaze, let him gaze with the beast on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let, let him be given the heart of a, what? Beast or an animal. So obviously this dream is talking about an individual. Tree representing people. So here is a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has which represents a person. We will get to the interpretation of this dream shortly. But God is saying, symbolically cut Cut the tree, but leave the stump. Let the dew of heaven fall on it. But let him graze with the beast and the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man to that of an animal. And let seven times pass over him. Seven times is the time frame uh, of, of the calendar. Let it pass. This decision is by the decree of the watchers. And the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know 
that the most high rules in the kingdom of heaven, gives it to whom he wills, and sets over it the lowest of men, the lowest, the humility, the humble of heart. That's what the Bible is talking about. Give and sets it over the lowest of men. You got the picture of the dream? Okay. The only thing you're not permitted to do this morning, fall asleep and have your own dream. We just look at the dream that comes, that God gave Nebuchadnezzar. Now let's look at the interpretation of the dream. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 20, that tree, the tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which could not be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely, and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the, the, beasts of the field dwelt, and its branches, the birds of the heaven, had their home. It is who? You, O king. So, you know, it's very interesting when people come and tell me, I have dreams. Here's the takeaway. 70% of dreams you have is something God's speaking to you. It's a, it's a revelation of your own heart. And God is speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, revealing the state of his heart in a very dramatic picture form of a tree. And he says here, it is you, O king. You have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and it reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Your rule has gone far and wide. And as, as much as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stumps and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till it seven times passes over it. This is the interpretation. Daniel is giving the interpretation. O king, this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon you, my Lord, the king. I don't know how you've read this passage before, but it does something to me when I, I read it. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. From where to where? From exaltation to absolutely cut off. Look at the mercy of God. God saying, do you cut the tree? You, you break the branches, scatter the fruit. Don't touch the root. Don't touch the stump. Let the dew, let something of my presence be on the stump. And here's the interpretation talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you, make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till, can everyone shout till? One more time, till. Till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of heaven and gives it to whomever he chooses. That's the sovereign power of God, the grace of God. There was only one lesson Nebuchadnezzar had to learn. And that lesson was, in the midst of your greatness, in all of the success you have, there is one thing God wants to establish in our heart. Until we know what God wants, 
It's a heart of humility. Let's read on as we look at what happens. Jumping ahead a little bit. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you. After you have come to know. You like that? After you've come to know. This will happen till you acknowledge God who is the most high, who rules over the heaven. And whatever you have is a gift in the grace of God. Whatever success we have, whatever favor we have, whatever blessing we have, till you recognize this is from the God of heaven and he gives it to whomever he pleases. Till you recognize that. What a lesson. What a dream. And then he says, after you come to know the heaven, that, uh, that heaven rules, you will be assured of your kingdom. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps they may be uh, there may be a lengthening, lengthening of your prosperity. Look at the profoundness. You know what surprised me? Here was Daniel giving an inter interpretation of the dream. And he says this to Nebuchadnezzar, spills it out front of him. And he says, here's my advice. I may be acceptable to you. Stop your sin. Break. Start being righteous. And you not only just be righteous, show mercy to the poor. And that fascinated me. You know, we keep saying from time to time, the work of reach, you know, hey, this is God's heart. There is something about God initiating a work that will reach out to the poor. Show mercy. You know what mercy is? Don't judge the poor. Don't write off the poor. Don't evaluate the poor, but be merciful to the poor. Am I, am I communicating something this morning? So he's saying there, this is my advice. Stop your sin by being righteous. Not just stop sinning, full stop. Stop sinning by doing good, by being righteous. And for your iniquity, show mercy towards the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. I wonder what would our response be if we had a dream like that. And if we had someone who interpreted that dream and says, this is about you and what will happen in your life, how would we respond? You know, most of us have a very short memory. And so did Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 28, all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, is, is not this the great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? How many of you caught the mice in that? The eyes and the mice. Always be careful of the eyes and the mice. <laughs> That's impromptu. <laughs> and look at what he's saying. Look at, look at what we have achieved. Look at what this great king has done. 
And we all know how we put a statue of himself and wanted everyone to bow down and worship that, uh, that statue or that image. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a warning in his dream and God gave Nebuchadnezzar the time of grace for him to turn around and repent, fully knowing what is ahead of him. But he didn't take heed to the warning. He was so caught up with what he has done. He was so caught up with the manifestation of blessing. And you and I are not too far from, the, from that place of Nebuchadnezzar. So easily we can be swallowed up with success. So easily we can be entrapped in our own achievements. And I pray that you nor I will ever come to this place to say, I have built for a royal dwelling by my power, mighty power, and for my honor, and for my own glory, for my own majesty. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, and this is what he saw in a dream, a watcher. Can you say watcher? There is a God who's called it the watcher. He watches the condition of our heart. And it says there was a voice that fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men in your dwelling, shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of heaven and gives it to whomever he chooses. It's the establishing truth. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. Terrible. I don't know how much you use your imagination to think. I've used my imagination so many times when I read this. Just imagine a man with such honor, man that would had such authority, eating grass on the field. And it doesn't just stop there. He says he not only ate grass like an oxen, his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair has grown like eagles, feathers. Just imagine. All his hair everywhere, hair growing like eagle fur, and his nails like birds of claw. Those of you who are in creative art and designing, you can make one image like that, and you'll get scared of what comes out of it. Get me? For what? But what did Nebuchadnezzar go through then? What? Not immorality. Not addiction. But the condition of his heart that never acknowledged God for what he had. You know how dissatisfied we can be with what God has done in our lives? Not only we live with a, with a sense of dissatisfaction, but we live failing to acknowledge God for who he is 
but the watcher is watching. May that voice never fall in anyone in this congregation. It's terrible. Terrible. It says his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But look at the grace and the mercy of God at the end of the time. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. You know, sometimes we don't learn lessons sitting in a comfortable hall. We learn lessons in the midst of trials. I won't be surprised how many people will walk out of this hall and by evening you've forgotten what God is saying to you. I won't be surprised. Because for many of us, we come to church because it's Sunday morning. Never with our heart to hear what God is saying, but just to fulfill a Sunday morning routine. But watch my words. For some that God is speaking to you is a warning. Be careful. But in the midst of that warning, there's always a hope. And it says here in Daniel chapter 4 verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Nebuchadnezzar learned such a lesson. He says, people and what we have done, the inhabitants, are nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one. You know, you get such a lesson in humility, and I'm not talking about attending a seminar. You get a lesson from God on humility. You will think twice to rise up from that place and say anything wrong. I'm reading verse 36 from the NIV translation. At the same time, that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. This is what Jesus was saying in the New Testament. Those who humble themselves, I will exalt. And those who exalt themselves, I the watcher will watch. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 37, I picture this every time and probably we will try and do this at the end of the service. <clears throat> In my imagination, I believe Nebuchadnezzar made his oath. You know how you swear, you take an oath, you put your palm up, you, you're swearing an oath. And this is what he says. And let me read it from that point of view. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, that's how you start an oath. You say your name. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because nothing he does is right, but nothing he 
But everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. You know, permit me to indulge a bit. I like to say this. Now I, Victor Demonte, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Can we make that our oath this morning? I just enjoyed it. Every time I came, I got stuck there. Church, I don't care whether the dead is raised from this uh, uh, dead is raised in this ministry. I don't care whether cripples are walked. We dare not boast about it. Everything that God does comes from the hand of God. Come on, church, I expected you. May boasting never be found in your heart. We are no superior than anyone else. We're just servants of an almighty God. And I thank God every day for that privilege. Come on, church, shout it. Be excited. I learned my terrible lesson once, and I was humbled painfully. And the memory of that has never left me. Because I know how much I struggled in those years, two years of torment and pain. And I pray that I will never visit that place again. It's not worth it. <laughs> Forget not worth it. I just know, and I know, and I know. It has to be God. That's the revelation that comes. And that knowing must move from your head right down to your heart. Someone in Ghana, they gave me this placard and, and it said all sorts of fantastic things and a person who read it and says, how do you handle that? I said, I've not read it. Foolish to even think I had anything to do with you. Foolishness. That proverb is true. Pride always goes before a fall. You know, for years that we have lived, born in this world, we've all eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Am I right? All of us. All of us. For 30 years, if that's when you got saved at 30, if you're 25, 25, or whatever age, for that number of years, we have educated ourselves, grown in our strength, grown in our ability to use our mind. And we still partake of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil only leads you to pride and rebellion. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil only leads you to a place of death. And sadly, Adam and Eve chose to eat from that tree, leaving behind a legacy, a generation of human beings who will constantly eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's why we land up with, with so much of our thinking, our reasoning, our ability, and we are all racing to that one goal to achieve something in our own strength and for our glory. We invest everything for the sake of our glory. 
someone touches your ego and says something, how can they speak to me like that? Who are you? I feel like telling you to ask us, who are you? Somewhere we want to be, uh, you know, others to bow down and worship us. We don't say worship, but, you know, say something. We may not build a statue like Nebuchadnezzar externally. Don't tell me we don't build a statue on the inside of us. And we expect someone to bow down to that, acknowledge that. And if they don't, whenever we eat from that tree of good, of no, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we deliberately turned away. We deliberately turned away from the wisdom of God, relying on our own strength, leads only to self-confidence and pride. This is what the Bible says to those who have eaten of the tree of good and of good and knowledge of good and evil in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, talking to a nation, talking to his people, thus says the Lord, cursed is a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Whenever we begin to put our trust in another human being. Whenever we begin to put our trust in our own abilities and our, our confidences and our own strength, automatically our heart departs from the Lord. Automatically our heart shifts from depending on God to depending on people and depending on our, ourselves and our own wisdom and our reasoning and our abilities. Am I right in saying that? The Bible is true. And you notice every time you put confidence in something of your own ability or someone else's, the level of confidence in God is constantly decreasing. I was in, single, I was in Chennai. Still uh, remember those days when I was lying on a mat. And I was filled with all the disappointments. Friends, pastors, leaders, all. You carry those disappointments. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, you all been to the Healing and Deliverance Conference. Now, now you're delivered from it. Praise God. <laughs> I, I didn't have any Healing and Deliverance Conference to attend. And I sat there on my, uh, my mat, and I thought of all these things, and filled with disappointment and hopelessness and a bit of anger, resentment. When I understood this verse, I lifted my hands up and I said, God, thank you for all those who let me down. You know why? Because if they didn't do a good job in disappointing me and letting me down, I would have never known what it is to trust God. Come on, come on. Hey, no, I can't hear. Come on, someone on the balcony, shout it out, yes or no? Stop crying over those who have let you down. They're the agents of God to teach you a lesson. So look at them and say, wow, what a messenger of God you have been to me. Your parents let you down, praise God so that you can trust God. I will illustrate that to you in a few minutes. Uh, I need about some volunteers here. I'll take Charles and then uh, some guys can come here, and four or five of them. Smile at me. Nice. Honestly, thank God. Thank God. 
How else can God teach you that lesson? Let me read. Let, me, let the story flow. Verse 6, Jeremiah 17, 6. For, they, for he shall be like a shrub, like a plant in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. That's what happens when you trust in your own ability, wisdom, and put your trust in somebody, some, some man. You know who I know? I know the commissioner of the, uh, of the police department. So, I got political influence. So, it may act as a disadvantage to you. I'm sure everyone here will raise your hand, including me. You look, this person is definitely going to him. You went with full hopes and nothing happened. You see, this was Satan's agenda right from the beginning. To cause man to live independently of God. That's what sin is all about. Every sin, everything is to get man to live independently of God. Nobody sins asking God to give for help. Anyone sins like that? God, I'm going to sin. I need your help. God will look at you. Oh, that's a strange one. See, every sin is an act of of behaving or doing something independent of God. Don't our own wisdom, our own reasoning. I want you to see this picture. The tale of two trees. These two trees represent your life and my life. Which tree you want to be like? I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. You'll all say one with the fruit on it. You don't even need to have a word of knowledge for that. You looked at what happened to the one who trusts in their own ability, put their confidence in another man. On the contrary, look at the other picture the Bible gives us. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 to 8, Blessed is the man who trusts where? In the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. You're not just trusting in God. Your hope is in God. And then he says, for he shall be like a tree. Put the, please put, okay. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters, spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought. When anyone, when everyone around you is having drought, you will be prosperous. God will sustain you, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Economy goes up, economy comes down. God will make sure you will never cease from yielding fruit. Look at that tree. Today we all face the same challenge that Adam and Eve faced in the Garden of Eden. We also have two options before us. Left with one choice. All of us. Two options. One is Jeremiah chapter 5, trusting in man and our own ability. And the other one is trusting in God and our hope in God. Two options, one choice. That one choice determines Adam and Eve's faith. Our choice will determine our faith. 
And Nebuchadnezzar is a good example of the one who trusts, who trusted in his own wisdom and ability and became like that shrub in the wilderness. Same man, same Nebuchadnezzar went through his season of God dealing with him. And when he repented and acknowledged God, God turned his life into a tree of fruitfulness and glory. I like the one that says, even more than what he had. Even more than what he had. If you think, wow, have you achieved something, you have not seen it yet of what God can do when his hand of blessing is on your life. Are you okay? Here's an example in of what happened in the Old Testament. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 7, talking about a time when Anani, the, uh, the seer, a seer means prophet, one who sees in the spirit, came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram, or Aram, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. I leave it up to you to go read the verses before. And so here was King Asa, was so terrified with the army that was going to come against him, he thought he was going to fail, so he made an alliance with the king of Damascus. He made an alliance with, with, an, uh, with the king to help him to overcome the enemy. And in a way it succeeded if you read the passage. But look what happened. God begins to speak to King Asa and says, We're not the Kushites and the Libites, a mighty army and great numbers of chariots and horsemen. Yet, when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. So God is reminding him of his past victories. There was a time in our life when we saw God's intervention. And God is reminding Asa of that time. And he says, didn't... I deliver you when you trusted me? Didn't I bring you to a place of victory when you relied, depended upon me? Then it says in verse 16, chapter 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now you will be at war. You know, some of the circumstances that we have in our life, uh, self-inflicted circumstances. And you're wondering, why is God punishing me? Why? Hey, God is saying something to you. God wants to bring you to a place till you understand your success comes from God. He wants to deep, de he deals with you till you have an understanding that the power to bless is only in his hands. And after you've learned that lesson, God says, now I'll bless you. How many of you got this till and after? Charles, can you please come here? I want to demonstrate something here. Here is Charles, a good Christian. Two other guys, yeah, uh, he also can come. I saw him yawning, so let him come. <laughs> come, 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 no problem. He also too come. <laughs> yeah, hi, hi. So now you can't sleep now. You okay? Come here. I'll give you a hug for that. Just to soothe something. I'm a tease, okay? You must bear up with me. Okay. Yeah. So now uh, Charles is a good Christian. 
and he loves worship, and he lifts his hands and worshiping God and saying, God, you're my everything. I will make my boast in the, bo what's the words? In, in Christ alone and all of them. But you know, for all these 20 years of his life, he's learned to depend on his friend who has a lot of money. Arun, you also come here. And then he's come from a secure home, and his father is always there to pamper him wherever he wants to go. Come, this is his father. And so now, look, a father for different kind, but never mind. And then he's got his friends there. And then one is his friend, his friends. Where? This is his friend. Eh? Oh, you're a friend. Okay, you're the rich friend. Rich friend, okay, father. And then uh, this is his education. He's got his degrees all in his place. And he's well learned. And now he's got, uh, what are some of the other support systems we have? Huh? Job, he's got a job. Put your hand on his job. The job is a big thing. So every Christian is happy like this. Am I right? Don't worry. I can sing, my, make my boast, and the boast, my boast is in Christ alone. I can sing, oh, he is my everything. Naturally, he is your everything. Your job is in place. Your friend is in place. Education is in place. Your family is supporting you. Money is there. Friend, rich friend is there. Nothing. Life is cushy. Nice. And then while Charles sings and he worships God, and he thinks, wow, you know, God, you're so good, you know. You bless me with wisdom and see what I have accomplished. See the twist in it. You bless me, I have accomplished. And this is what I have done and see my life so well. And so God wants to see whether he's really, you know, dependent and he will make his boast in the Lord alone and whether God is everything. And suddenly his job goes. God, what happened, Lord? Why this, Lord? How this happened, Lord? Why, God, this is it? And God is saying, I will make my boast <laughs> in the Lord alone, in Christ alone. <laughs> you are my everything. Then Charles is saying, you know, yeah, you know, jobs come, jobs go. My father is there. No problem. Seven months, father supporting. After that, he says, look, you're a big man. You earn. I'm not going to support you. You also go. My father, pastor, how can my own father let, my father let me down, let me down. How, how he can do that? Well, he did it. Not how he did it, he did it. What is God saying? You relied on your father? You relied on your job. You made all the investments based on your job. Hello? That is gone. Father also is gone. Then he said, I got my education. Harvard. Harvard degree. My education. Not one year, two years went. Wherever he showed his certificate, he says, you're, you're too educated, we can't employ you. You heard that new one now? 
Before, before it was you had no education. Now you're too educated. You're too qualified. Dignified way to say we can't take you. So his job also is failing, nothing. Education is gone. Says at least this one friend is there. Childhood friend, now he's rich. I'm sure he'll give me a job. Sure, I can be a consultant in his company. Sure, he'll help me when I need some financial. And so then he looks to his friend. And his friend says, tells him, look, even I can't help you. Business is going through a fire crisis. And so he also goes away. And now God says, welcome to Christian living. That's what God told King Asa. My eyes go to and fro looking for men whose heart is fully trusting in God. Now, Charles is not standing. Kneel, Charles. Kneeling. And he says, God, help me, Lord. You're the only one who can help. Lord, my father left, my friend left, my education, nothing. Lord, I'm nobody. Nothing I can do, Lord. God, you're the only sovereign one. It's only your mercy. And then God comes and lifts him up. When you want to learn this lesson is up to you. <laughs> but when you learn it, just remember this illustration. The psalmist said in Psalm 27, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is the word that the psalmist that says in Psalm 121.1, I will lift my eyes to the hills. I will lift my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The Bible doesn't stop with the tale of two trees. The Bible ends with the tale of two gardens. One was the Garden of Eden, which where, was, where death was born, independence was born, rebellion was born in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible also talks about a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus came and reversed what man did. What was birthed in the Garden of Eden was undone in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus demonstrated of how man should live life, totally yielded. But he says, Lord, nevertheless, even what you have is contrary to my plans. I'm willing to embrace your plans above my plans. I'm willing to make your agenda the, most pri the greatest priority in my life. And Jesus, a model for us, a generation that will follow after his kind, birth in the Garden of Gethsemane. We were all born in this world after the kind in the Garden of Eden. When you're born again, we were birthed spiritually in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why the Bible says, whoever believes in the Lord shall never be put to shame. 
Are you willing to take your oath this morning? Come, shall we stand? You can close your eyes. One hand raised before God and saying, God, this is my oath. And you can say, now I mention your name. Praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. Because everything he does is right and all your ways are just and those who walk in pride you are able to humble Just worship him and thank him and say god this is my declaration before you lord you are that king you are that king Still the one.